Hey everybody, this is Steve, your rapper host, uh, reaching out um, before you get a chance to listen to this episode to just say that we know um, that everyone has been affected differently, but affected definitely by um, COVID-19 and the pandemic and quarantine, so many different words flying around. I'm not sure which one is the right one to use right here, but um, the one thing we know is that although everyone's been affected differently, the big effect we all have felt, I think, is connection and the lack of connection in the way that we normally can get out and connect with people. And as Johan Hari says in his TED Talk, the opposite of addiction is connection. And so we know how important that connection is. So um, as a team, we've been in prayer and thinking what we can do to kind of help everyone stay connected. And here's what we've come up with. So on May 7th at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, we will be doing a live Q&A episode on Zoom. So for those of you who don't know, we do Q&A episodes where people can submit anonymous questions and we answer them. So we're going to have several couples who have been on before um, who've shared their stories there for the Q&A. And you'll be able to ask questions anonymously. You can also ask them unanonymously as well um, if you just want to kind of be there and connect. So we will be doing that on May 7th at 7 p.m. And go to unashamedunafraid.com and register. And also, uh, for those of you who have subscribed and donated to our outsiders, of course, we always want to thank you. And we have had some technical hiccups on getting all of our bonus content out. And um, we've delayed putting up our scholarship page for some of the scholarships and timing on things with COVID, having some events um, and stuff moved around. So we want everyone to know that all of the information and bonus episodes to outsiders um, and scholarship page and all of that will be coming up very shortly. So um, stay tuned, coming very soon. And uh, if you are not an outsider, it's easy. You just go to unashamedandafraid.com, donate whatever amount you can donate, and boom, you're an outsider. And that gets you um, additional content, connections, some cool things. So With that, we hope you enjoy this episode, and until we get a chance to talk again, remain unashamed. Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, James. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. So, um, James. What's up, man? Um, this is a little bit awkward. Why is that? So normally, um, I guess I'd say for those of you who don't know, but I don't know what people would know. Um, <laughs> normally we podcast in my office, right. like my work office, my normal yeah. job office, because no one's there at night when we record these and it's all, and so it's like all of us crammed in this little room, the four of us who are there, Jason and whoever's hosting and stuff, some of the team, and then whoever we kind of have on the show. And so um, tonight we are actually in Kirk Frankham's basement. Totally awesome, by the way. Yes, and if I'm you're moving thinking, in, I yeah, think totally, we're sleeping yeah. here tonight. If if and if you're thinking, you mean the Kurt Frankum from Leading Saints? Uh, yeah, we're legit. Um, and <laughs> Way to so, name drop, dude. Yes. Oh yeah, you know. So pride. We actually talk about that in this episode. Oh great. So um, and 
James, I've committed you to listening to Christian rap music. So to all right. all of our listeners, you should try it. It's fun. So I yeah, I and I'm like prior to to this exploration, I was strongly anti anything that even sounded close to hip hop or rap. Yeah, yeah, you were pretty uh, rap atheist. Oh, anti rap atheist. Yeah, just like the the most anti you could get, pretty yes. much. Because so, all I'd associated with was like gangster rap stuff. Yes, I'm like yeah, don't associate with that. I just don't connect yes. there. Yes. So um, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna use NF to introduce this episode. Okay. When when we come out of this intro, because it's with our boy Jason. So uh, D- Jason, our Darth Vader of audio, you will sound awesome. Insert Darth Vader breathing here. It's not very good. Wow, that was awful. I know. Will you try it? Was that Chewbacca? That was super way better. <laughs> Chewbacca. So, uh, so I just love Jason because I feel We're like We're totally editing all that out, right? I, I, I love Jason because like I feel like Jason and I have so many similarities. Yeah. But the the real reason why I love talking to Jason about his story and hearing his story is, as you know, as we're working the 12 steps in our bonus content, which you can get to by subscribing, becoming an outsider, subscribe monthly, whatever amount you can afford. We have all these bonus episodes, bonus content on this episode, bonus episodes. Um, and so we're doing the 12 steps there. And surrender, like, that's just been a really hard one for me. Right. And like, when I think of Jason, like, that was the shift for him. Like he's can't figure it out, can't figure it out. Doesn't matter. Minimizing. And then he has some moments, which we talked about in the episode, and he like finally gets it. Like gets the surrender. Surrender and finally he, gets. He there. took off so fast. Yeah. With that, and I've like just stumbled so much in recovery that I'm like, wow. You're a little jealous. Totally jealous. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. And just he's a good job of talking about stuff. So that's my favorite part of this episode. I don't know what your favorite part of this episode is. My favorite part of the episode was when I hit him pretty hard in the bonus content around um, his relationship with God. Yeah, yeah. And, and in the bonus content, we talked to him about more kind of in depth about how he's handled, right, marriage, recovering the marriage, right, mm-hmm. allowing his wife to have her own recovery and his own recovery and what that all looked like. We also talked to him about pride, mm-hmm. kind of along with the God question. So, so the bonus content... Um, is is excellent so yeah um we invite you to subscribe by email you can get the bonus content outsiders you can go to the website unashamedandafraid.com slash donate to kind of find it there and because jason is so fun as our boy in the words of nf from the search it's that time again better grab your balloons and invite your friend seat belts back on yes strap them in look at me everybody i'm smiling big on a road right now that I can't predict. Tell them, tone that down, but I can't resist. Y'all know that sound better raise your fist. The search and knowing Jason's story begins. We're back, so enjoy the trip. Uh, so this is awkward. <laughs> Jason, welcome to the studio. <laughs> hey, thanks, Steve. <laughs> Um, so you've been on previous episodes. Yeah. Um, 
we've, uh, you know, sometimes talk about you like in the room, but a microphone's not in front of you. We're like, Jason is bobbing his head. Jason says I should not talk about that. Jason says. So we do some of that. But backseat directing. Backseat directing. Uh-huh. Well said. Um, as our as the Darth Vader of audio. But um, you are now on the other side of the table. I am. And James and I are ready. Let's rock and roll, man. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about your childhood yeah, I've never and, done this before. Uh, and all of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so, uh, I mean, I grew up in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, had a great family, parents who loved me. Um, yeah, I didn't have a, a lot of close friends or anything, but I uh, definitely had a family that, that supported me and loved me. So, Like, is not a lot of close friends like a covert way to be like, I really struggled socially, there was bullying? Like, how big is that? You, I mean, you could say that. Yeah, it was pretty big. Okay. Um, th- there were some friends, but uh, the friends that I did have were not probably good friends to have. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Yeah, so... Um, when I was a kid, there was, uh, probably when I was six or seven, um, there was, there were some friends that, uh, I wouldn't call it sexual assault, but there was some hazing, um, that involved some, some sexuality, I guess you could say. That's pretty intense. So yeah, I mean, it was, it was, and it was around that time that I, uh, began experimenting with masturbation and, and, and things like that. So, um, nine years old when I saw pornography the first time, um, wasn't until I was 15 that I actually sought it out. Uh-huh. Uh, so as a kid, did, did you talk about any of this? No, no, not really. I, I might have told my parents once that something happened, but I, I don't think I really did. In fact, it wasn't until probably a few months ago well, at boot camp uh, that I was able to actually process that. Hashtag that, warriorheart.com. <laughs> that I was actually able to process that that was traumatic for me um, because, and I think this is true of a lot of people, if you ask them, did this event happen, they'd say yes. But if you asked them, were you sexually abused or were you assaulted or were you whatever, they would say no. Mm-hmm. And Totally. And so I think that that kind of applies to me. It wasn't until much later that I realized that that, that mattered, right? Like, I always knew it happened, but it never, I never realized that it mattered to me. Yeah. And, and tell us, like, with the loneliness, um, so sometimes we focus on, like, what was the bad that happened? And the flip side of the coin is, what was the good that didn't happen? You know, the, the good fathering, the good connection with God, the, right? The good friends. Yeah. Like, like, what was it for you and your story growing up that like, what was the good that should have happened in an all-American childhood that maybe didn't happen for you? Well, I mean, it, it kind of comes back to the people I associated with, the friends I associated with. Um, none of them were, I mean, we were kids who's good with God when you're a kid, right? But um, none of them shared my same standards, I guess. Uh, would mm-hmm. be a way to put it. Um, and so, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't really have any, but even at church, there was really nobody that I associated with. And so I feel like maybe my, uh, my association with God was a very lonely thing. It was by myself. There was mm-hmm. nobody else there doing that with me. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was when I was probably 12, when I received the Aaronic priesthood, um, I became a deacon. That's when I feel like my testimony really started. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I started feeling something. I started feeling God's love and, but it was still a very much a very personal process for me. Mm-hmm. So served a mission? Yeah, yeah. Where did you go? Mission. I went to Cleveland. Yep. Did you feel like LeBron? <laughs> uh, no, but I did see him. 
We went to a game once. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Approved. How, how was the mission experience? It was great. I uh, had a great time. Um, I loved my mission. Uh, I struggled with pornography from when I was 15. I mean, up until about pff, probably six months before I left my mission, I got clean. Um, and then uh, went on my mission about mm, probably six months into my mission, I, I began masturbation again. Um, struggle with that the whole rest of my mission. So talked to my mission president. He knew about it. He was working with me on it. But Okay. And so when you got home, um, kind of what, what was the cycle then? Did you pick up the pornography after yeah. that again? Yeah, I definitely did. Uh, picked up the pornography. Um, and uh, I started getting serious with my wife. And uh, we decided to get married. Who's super cool, by the way. Yeah, she's pretty great. <laughs> well, some, sometimes because we have people on, we don't. Sometimes they come on and their spouse, which I totally get. Um, and but we never meet their spouse. Like we don't have that. Kind of, like we've totally hung out with your wife. She's yep. the coolest. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love her. <laughs> good. <laughs> That's a good thing. Um, yeah. So no. did you did you tell her about this beforehand? Uh, I did not. No. Okay. Um, I was a little naive, like I think a lot of people are, um, in that I thought that either it would fix it or that it would eventually go away. Okay. Um, meaning getting married would fix getting my married sexually fix compulsive it, right. behavior. Um, I did tell her uh, a few days after we were married, I told her the, the minimizing spotlighting story of this happened and it's in the past, um, but it wasn't a current thing because at that time I was, I was fine, right? Quote, yeah. unquote. Because you were three days sober. Yeah. Yeah. So what, so um, did you, and I, and you may be getting there, but like at what point in time were you like, I think this might be a problem. Because I don't think, most people don't get there in their teenage, at least some of us older guys, some of the people in their teenage years now, like we yeah. talk about it as a culture and we're like, this can be an addiction. Like this can be a real problem. But well, I'm assuming so, you're like me where it was like, you weren't like on your mission or coming home from your mission being like, I think this might be like compulsive and an addiction. Well, maybe. I mean, I might've called it that, um, but I didn't necessarily know what that means. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what causes an addiction. So what does that mean when I say it's an addiction to me? Right. It's just a word. It's just a word. Out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just had this problem. Yeah. I had a problem. Yeah, yeah. That I couldn't, that I couldn't stop doing and I didn't yeah. know why. Yeah. Um, and so about, I think it was probably seven, eight months into our marriage. Um, I began looking at pornography again and my wife found it. Okay. Um, she confronted me about it and we went to see the bishop uh, and he sent us to a therapist um, and well, and what was her what was her reaction at that time? Was she like, get fixed? I'm angry. Was she like, didn't talk about yeah, it at all? Because there's mean, some different reactions. Like, just how did she handle it? I mean, I can't speak for her. I, I can tell you that there was a lot of hurt. Um, there was a lot of yeah. confusion. Um, I know that she she supported me um, at first. Obviously, it was you know we got to fix this. Um, but I know that she she wasn't going to, I don't know, abandon me. You know, mm-hmm. like that wasn't her intention or anything. I think she figured, let's do this. Let's fix this, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's why we went and saw the bishop and met with a therapist and things. And I, I met with a therapist and I, I learned a lot um, just about what addiction is and things. And I think that's when I started naming it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and, and, and we went, I went back and forth. You know, there were times of sobriety, times of honesty and then times of not sobriety and hiding it. Okay. Um, so you didn't maintain therapy throughout? Uh, uh, probably for a couple of years. Okay. Uh, and then I dropped it because okay. I was fine. 
So you'd maintained a level of sobriety, figured, oh, I got this figured out now and I'm uh, done? I mean, sobriety defines sobriety, right? It sure. was it was come and go. Okay. Um, sometimes I was fine, sometimes I wasn't. But there were, like I said, there were periods where I was honest about it and periods where I wasn't. Okay. Right. So what changed? What caused you to finally, like, turn? what made that light bulb turn on for you after well, these years of well, therapy but, going back but and I'm, forth? But I'm still curious, like... And I'm totally cutting James off, but like, what, like, how were you identifying at that time? This is maybe just a curiosity question I have. Cause for me, it was like, la, 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 nothing's going on. And then like, oh yeah, I have a really big problem. Yeah. Like I didn't have this slight. So, I mean, our stories are different that way. And so like, were you, as you had, like you said, you're like, it was in and out, it was come and go. Like, so like. So you I mean, and your wife just like didn't talk about it. Yeah, like, I mean, you just like what, I, like I what did that look about like? It, right, I didn't talk about it. So I mean, there there like I said, there'd be like a period of six months where we'd be fine. I would slip and I'd tell her about it, um, and then uh, you know she would get upset or you know I'd feel invalidated, and so I would clam up. Yeah, um, and so then I'd start acting out again. And this time it's well, I'm not going to tell her now. And then it's like, well, I haven't told her this time, so I can't tell her the next time it happens. And then it becomes a year, two, three years. So, okay. And so in the same time period, right, as a, as a kid, you enter it, right? You had a lot of loneliness, right? Every, all the good things that should happen socially didn't really happen. Like, so did that translate into adulthood? Like, what? Because you as a kid, you're like, I, I kind of associate, I didn't associate all when I did. It was kind of the wrong people for me. So as I mean, an adult, I, like, I had really good how friends, did that all uh, In high school and, and from then on, high school and then on, I had really good friends. Oh, okay. Um, so I don't know that that was necessarily a problem. Um, but definitely nobody knew about this. So there was definitely loneliness there, right? So Yeah. So you weren't talking to any guys about this? No, definitely not. Definitely not. Katie knew about it and that was about it. Yeah, that's how, that's so, how I was too. Like nobody was going to know, but I had yeah. some friends and guys that I, I trusted. I did have a best friend who also dealt with it and we talked about it a little bit, but neither of us were recovering. So, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and sure. so you, I mean, you know, I'm going to ask this question. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, cause I go here every time, but tell me what your relationship with, with God is like throughout this, right? What, so, what messages are you feeling, hearing? Yeah. Um, so what's this doing to that relationship? Do you feel I mean, like? I'll be honest. I, I, I don't know if I'm different or not, but I, I never really struggled to find God's love. Okay. Um, I always felt like it was there. I always felt like he was there. Um, and so I never had that, that moment of, you know, does God exist or whatever, right? I relate to that. Yeah. yeah it was always, he's there. He loves me no matter what. And I think maybe I played on that a little too much, right? Like there's maybe too much on the other side of it. Hmm. Well, God loves me, so I'm okay. Um, so it gave you this just kind of liberty and freedom to... Yeah. I mean, to an extent, right? I knew it was wrong. Yeah. Um, but I also knew that God loved me mm -hmm. and that he would love me no matter what. And so, yeah, I don't know. But I, okay. kinda, I can relate to that because for me it was... I, I, that was kind of my justification fuel that I'm like, no, I'm, I'm quotation marks working on it. Cause I quit yeah. every time after. I'm working on it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working on it. And then I'm like, well, if God was mad, I wouldn't be yeah. Elder's Corn president. If God's mad, right. I wouldn't be getting married. If God was mad, I wouldn't be in the bishopric. Yeah, if God exactly. was mad, I wouldn't be this ordinance worker in the temple. I mean, these spiritual experience. So I kind of use the cultural things and some of that. And so I, I how much of God's love was based in those culture, like, and that kind of exterior relationship versus like, and I think this is what James is getting at too, is like, what was your interior relationship with God? Because I realized, at least for me, like those are two very different things. So my interior relationship with God was, 
um, I'm a good person, but, mm-hmm. right? Like God loves me and I'm a great person, but I have this problem. And so anytime I would think about how God felt about me, it was always, yeah, I love you, but. But I'm a little disappointed in right, you. Right, but I'm a little disappointed or there's, there's something that you need to fix. And it was always, mm-hmm. I always knew like, you need to talk to somebody about this. You can talk to a bishop, you need to talk to your wife. And I was always like, yeah, but I'll put that aside and focus on the I'm a good person thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you're kind of in this pattern. Mm-hmm. So when, so like a height of addiction, height of acting out, what'd that look like for you? So um, it was about five years, uh, five or six years um, where nobody knew that I'd been acting out. I had been lying and hiding. And uh, around that time, I was in a and lot And you'd of, been married how long at this point? Uh, what, seven years? Okay. Maybe okay. eight years. Um, yeah, probably eight years. Uh, I don't know, maybe nine. Anyway, um, so at, around this time, I was in a lot of bad uh, environments. Um, I'm an audio engineer, and so I spent a lot of time at bars and clubs and things. And um, I don't have a, a reason that I, that I decided to, but I decided to start drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I knew that it was wrong. And I still believed that it was wrong. And I believed that I was breaking the commandments. But also part of me just didn't care. And I think at that part, at that time, I was so numb that um, later my, one of my stake presidents said, uh, you were just acting out to see if God cared. And I was like, I think that's mm-hmm. probably pretty, pretty appropriate mm-hmm. to describe it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started drinking, and, and even at that time, I believed in the church. I, you know, I believed in my faith and, and everything. It was about three months later that uh, I lost all of that. Uh, so what do you mean by you lost all of that? So I, I don't know. I, I describe it this way. Um, sometimes Satan um, will, you know, we talk about wearing the armor of God. Mm-hmm. And sometimes Satan will attack you and you take off your helmet, right? We talk about, you know, stay armored, right? Yeah. Don't take off your helmet to take yeah. a drink from the river or whatever, right? The yeah. video. Um, oh yeah, that video. <laughs> it's an old seminary video anyway. Um, Nerd. <laughs> um, for me, I feel like God, or excuse me, I feel like Satan waited until I was completely naked. Mm-hmm. And that's when he attacked. He waited until I was uh, not close to God because I was numbed out. I wasn't close to my wife because I was numbed out. I didn't have any when friends you were, and you weren't being what honest. was going on. And I wasn't being honest. So there's no uh, emotional honesty or, or intimacy there, right? Um, I hid that well, mm-hmm. um, but it wasn't really there. And so um, it was about that time that Satan struck, and that's when I started reading, I don't know what you want to call it, but literature against the church. Um, and I started losing my testimony. I started questioning everything. And, um, I went to, so, cause I just want to know this clarifying question yeah. for me. So for a lot of people, when they say like the church, their testimony of Christ and God are wrapped up in that. Yeah, like absolutely. if I'm leaving the church, I'm leaving God behind yeah. altogether. Yeah. So was it like that for you? Or were you like, I'm leaving the LDS faith behind? Well, still a God guy. I'm just not doing it in LDS. So land. I always said that like, no matter what, I could never deny my testimony of God because I always felt him there. Right. Mm-hmm. 
But I think I but, was wrapped yeah. up in that, yeah, because I, I had a couple of friends that who had left the church, and I reached out to them to ask them how they had done it, right, um, because I wanted to know. And, and some of them were still married, and some of them weren't, and I didn't want to ruin my family. And so I was asking them, how, do you, how did you juggle that, right? And uh, in some of those conversations, I just kind of came to the conclusion that I didn't believe it anymore. And if I didn't believe it, then why would I believe in God? Because if the church wasn't true, then why was God real, right? It just, yeah, they were very wrapped together. And so it was the next night um, I was on my way home to tell my wife that I was leaving the church um, because I figured, you know, I, I can't hide that. Right, I can hide my addiction, yeah, but I can't hide that I don't believe. Hey, in the church. church is in a half hour, and you haven't gotten ready. Yeah, yeah and I'm not going to. Yeah, right, you exactly. You're going to have to go at there. some point. That becomes sure. a thing, and so I went home to tell her everything, um, but I decided to take a nap first. And when I woke up, she had found my messages to one of my friends about my my faith crisis. Ugh. And I, so you know, we we had a conversation, mm-hmm. uh, not an easy one. And that night, um, just because it was time, I was being released as Elders Quorum president. I was Elders Quorum president this whole time. <laughs> of course, and, just throw that in yeah. at halftime, Jason. <laughs> I'd, I'd, been a, I'd been an ordinance worker in the temple during this, and I was an Elders Quorum president at this time. Um, and so I was going to my stake president to be released. And, and what is your acting out looking at like this? Like, I'm looking at porn daily. Daily, constant, yeah. Yeah, okay. Daily or more. And also drinking. Yeah. On weekends, or was this... Uh, yeah, on weekends. Okay. Yeah, when I was at gigs or whatever. Okay. Would you say that you were an alcoholic? Like, was the drinking? No. Um, looking back now with with clear eyes, I see that I, it was not an addiction, but it definitely was a way for me to numb out. Okay. Um, and it definitely would have become if I had kept doing it. Oh, uh huh. All right. Um, so that kind of gives us some understanding yeah. where you are. So you're going to get released from yep. your stake president. And I thought, this is it. This is my way out. I'm done, right? I'm released. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to show up anymore. Right off into the sunset. Yep. And uh, uh, we sat down. He released me. We had a good conversation. And I wasn't going to tell him. And I got up to leave. And he stopped me. And he looked me. And he said, how's your testimony? And that was, to me, a message from God that I'm here and that it is real and that I'm real and that everything you've ever experienced with me is real. And I laughed and I kind of, I chuckled and I sat back down and I, I just told him about my faith crisis. I told him what I was going through. And so we talked for a little while. And that was that. And he We did, don't know what that was that means, that, that Jason. Was, that was that means. What do you mean you sat there and talked about it? We, You're like, bro, I'm out? I mean, it was a, I don't know what to do now. Um, I was in this, this, Oh, cause you're like, I'm out and I don't know what to do. Well, I want to be out, but I don't know if I really want to be out because, okay. because God had spoken to me now. Right. And so I'm like, like well, okay. I was out until about two minutes ago. Yeah. So yeah, God spoke to me. And so I don't now I don't know what to do. Yeah. Well, do I believe in the church? Do I believe in God? Well, I have to believe in God cause he's there. He's right here. 
right? Yeah. And did you did you bring up the drinking at that time with him? Or no. Were you just talking about the faith crisis? Just talking about the faith crisis. Yeah. Um, so it was the next day. I was driving home on my way home to tell Katie about everything else because I figured I can't. It's all going to come out if if one of it comes out, right? Something's it's got to be everything, all or nothing now. And that's when she texted me and asked me if I'd been drinking. So she knew. I, I want to say she did, um, or at least she I mean, was at, at least at least yeah, her intuition yeah. was the fact that she would think to ask you that question. Yeah, you know, well, she said on some level, what it really came like, down to was on? yeah, if if this if you've been lying about this, what else have you been lying about? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's important to point out because yeah. I think to any women listening, like that intuition and confusion and like that whole section can get really confusing mm-hmm. when you have someone who is lying, but then telling you one thing. Yeah. Uh, well, and so many women, they, they like learn that they have to ask you specific questions in order to get answers. Cause the rest of the time you'll just kind of deny it. So it's like, did you look at porn? It's like, you mean that time when I was seven? <laughs> no. <laughs> Have yeah. you looked, you know, did you so, look at porn today? Right. It, or it's like, have you been drinking? It's like poking, you know, they have to push each of these buttons well, and find, to find and, the truth. And my walls were already starting to come down, right? Yeah. Because of God speaking to me and I, yeah. I knew that something had to give. And so, so anyway, I came home, we talked about it and, and, and she said, is there anything else? And I said, well, this it's, it's now or never. Yeah. And so I told her, yeah, the pornography and masturbation never stopped either. Um, and that was admittedly the the angriest I've ever seen her, the most hurt I've ever seen her. Right. Um, could you, could you act, were you too numbed out to even experience that? As you know, when I disclosed everything, I was too numbed out to even experience it. I was definitely experiencing it to an extent. Um, I definitely loved her and had empathy. Um, but it was more of like a, it, it, there was definitely shame. Right. It was, yeah, it was sure. shame where, yeah. where it could have been something else. Yeah. Um, less empathy, more, well, I'm just a terrible person. Yeah. You know. It and was so, more about you than her at that time. Yeah. Yeah, I would say yeah. so. Yeah. Um, and so it was, well, you better go talk to the stake president again. And I said, okay, yep. So I went back and I sat down and he went, yeah, this usually happens. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, just, he had you read. Yeah. He knew that there was something else. And he not said, his first rodeo. Not his first nope. rodeo. Well, because we tell church leaders that all the time. We're like, odds of them having complete disclosure to you the first time they sit down with you is really low. Yeah. Just because shame's so big. Yeah. And it was. So, it was. Mm-hmm. So I told him everything. Um, and then he met with my wife and they had a conversation. And basically he told me, uh, this was kind of the turning moment. He told me, you have a decision to make here. You can either continue the path you're going and something's going to give and you'll probably ruin your marriage and lose your family. Or you can make a decision to try. And in that moment, I knew that was true. I knew that I had two choices and I didn't want to lose my family and I didn't want to lose God. So I said, okay. And I I told him, look, I've been through this thousands of times. I've, I've given it up a million times, right? Well, and you've even been to therapy. Yeah, I had been to therapy. Like, so you've even I'd like been I'd been to 12-step group, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and it just, 
nothing worked. So what's different this time? And he just told me, look, you just gotta, you gotta give it up. And in that moment, I kind of just said, look, God, I mean, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. But I can't, I obviously, I can't do this because it's been 16 years and I haven't, I haven't fixed it yet. So I can't do this. So what do you got? And that was when things kind of changed. So what did he have? (laughs) (laughs) It was surrender. It was giving up. I stopped trying. The problem was I'd been trying too long. I'd been struggling. And when I stopped struggling and stopped trying, that's when things changed. Because I gave it to, to Christ. I gave it to him and let him take it and said, I can't do this, so. Okay, you're going to have to tell me what that means. <laughs> like, what does that look like? Okay, so I'm, right, I'm, I'm new into recovery and I'm listening to this podcast. And I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? It's, it's honestly really hard to describe. Do your best. <laughs> um, it just involved me realizing first that I literally couldn't do it. And that was the message that God told me. Finally, it was, you know, you know all those hours you spend in like weeping self-pity prayer. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yep. Those prayers where you spend an hour praying and you're like, I'm Enos, you know, I'm wrestling before God. And it was like, no, none of that. None of that. You can't do this, period. You can't do this. You need help. And when I realized that I can't do this and I gave up, that's when he stepped in and took over. But so, so I get the realization part I get, like having the like surrender moment of like, I need help. So what did that look like? But then when you're like, give up, right? So, I mean, in my addict mind i'm like so you're like cool I'll just take the filters of my computer never go to a therapist never no, go to an therapy meeting quite, i've quite, given up quite the opposite quite the opposite because i was like well i've tried all this before i can't do it again right and so giving up for me meant humbling myself and giving it all a shot again going yeah. to arp going to 12 step yeah um getting a sponsor so arp is the lds church's 12-step program Mm -hmm. which is just i'd been there before and it wasn't helpful it was fine but it wasn't helpful Uh uh-huh um but this time was different so you were giving up i guess your control of it all and you were just gonna go and and yeah and do and find out if god was gonna help you out this time i'd been holding the reins for so long god had to i had to give them back to him okay Right. So you're giving up. Okay. Giving up your. Giving up the control. Yeah. Yeah. Giving up recovering in my way. Okay. So is that like. Stop trying to dictate it for myself. Yeah. Yeah. So is that like just like expectations? That's kind of what I think I hear you saying. Yeah. Like you had put your judgment on like, this is what the 12 steps is. Been there, done that, whatever. And you saying, you're telling me I should go. So I'll set my judgments aside and go, yeah. even though I think it's a waste of time. It, yeah, it was. And, and that's, that's one thing I've, I've told people before is, is it's the, the, the giving up of expectations, right? No matter what happens, whatever the outcome is, I'm doing what you're going to ask me to do. Right. So I'm going to go to ARP with no expectations. I'm just going to go because I know you asked me to. Not because I think it's going to fix me or I don't, but because I know that I need to. So then what did that look like it like relationship wise? So you're like, Hey, Katie, I have surrendered. 
So we good? I mean, I don't know if I used those words at that time. <laughs> I know, I'm being ironic. Didn't know what that I'm looked sorry. like. Um, no, I mean, I, I had a, a, a slip and I told her about it immediately. Um, well, she was at, at girls camp. Um, so I told her when she got home. Um, and then I was good for another few months and then I had another slip while I was away with the, the band that I was with. Did you, so uh, as you know, uh-huh. and I th- and I think a lot of our listeners know, like maintaining honesty and being honest has been one of the hardest things for me in recovery. One of my biggest stumbling blocks. I also am bad at surrender. So maybe there's correlation is what I'm getting at. So like, how did that shift for you? Cause you were like not honest at all yeah. for a really well, long time. I, I mean, so like, did you just all of a sudden just like you had this surrender moment and you and it's like, and I've been a hundred percent honest ever since. <laughs> yeah. I'm perfect now. Everything's great. Hmm. Um, no, uh, it took a, it took a long time. <laughs> it took a long time. Uh, it took a lot of practice. Being vulnerable was not easy. But, it's not, it's t- not, but tell me what you mean by that. Like it took a lot of plastics. I'm like, you were honest or you weren't like it's well, so like, how did that? So the honesty was, so we, we started doing this daily check-in and this was okay. actually a big tool for us. Okay. Um, it was a, a list that our therapist gave us, um, that every night you went back to therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously went back to therapy. That was huge for me. Okay. Uh, we went to Utah Valley counseling. Okay. And uh, uh, Dr. What, Morse. Which is Dr. Morse. Uh-huh. He did a, a post. He was not my therapist, but. Right, but I don't know. Three, four episodes. Well, I don't know when we're, whatever. We have an episode with Dr. Moore where yeah. he talks about shame. It's mm-hmm. excellent. It is excellent. He's fantastic. Yeah. So his practice, I went to okay. his practice. Um, so he gave us this, this list of things to check in with. And it was, how are you feeling physically, emotionally, spiritually, sexually? And it wasn't fine. That's not an answer. Right. It's what am I feeling physically? Am I hungry? Am I tired? Do I hurt? You know, whatever, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, have you had any triggers today? Have you had any slips today? What have you done for recovery today? What have you done for self-care today? You know, on and on and on. There were like 15 or 16 of them. Every night we'd have this check-in and that helped us to practice being vulnerable with each other. Mm-hmm. The honesty was only hard because I wasn't used to being vulnerable. I wasn't used to being emotionally intimate, mm. right? Telling these little feelings that I have pent up deep inside me to somebody. That's not something I was used to doing right. for anybody. And, and, and that was scary for you to do it's that. It's terrifying. Yeah. And so practicing that every single night, again, it took some time to get to the point where I could do it well. Yeah. And, um, and was it was it hard for her to trust that from you? I, yeah, I think so at first. Um, I'm, obviously, there's betrayal right. trauma there. Right. And, and there was tons of gaslighting and lying. And so, you know, I'm early just, on, but as you made that transition and started to be vulnerable, vulnerable, vulnerable around that, I guess, you know, did you start to see that? I mean, that what, definitely builds the trust, right? Right. And that was one of the things too. What are you building? What are you doing to build trust right now? What are you okay. doing to provide safety right now? You know, these okay. types of things. And so um, as we continue to do that, I do think it it helped that healing process. But again, I can't speak for her, but I, I do believe that that helped. Okay. So you've entered recovery. Mm-hmm. You, you're pulling the surrender card. We've kind of defined how that was happening. Yep. And then just kind of the grass grew till it grew to long enough length. And yeah. Uh, that second slip was my last one. That was over 18 months ago. Um, I haven't had any issues since then. There've been a couple of little, you know, trigger moments and, and moments where maybe I went a little further than I should have, you know, I wouldn't categorize it as a slip. Yeah. Um, or a relapse, you, but, but you haven't been always honest about you it. You haven't been temptation free. 
is what you're saying. No. Because sometimes I worry that people would take that when you're like, I've been sober. It was just like, and and just, yeah, I never had a bad sexual thought again. And it was Satan, like, la, la, Satan disappeared, right? After. Like Satan yeah, doesn't Satan disappear when we recover. That's not yeah. how it works. No, I mean, I still have temptations. I still notice triggers. I still have triggers, but but I don't, it's, it's, it's not scary anymore. I don't, I don't feel that shadow anymore. Meaning, meaning that like the shadow or that weight of like, yeah, what it, if I slip today? The whole world will end. It's the, I'm a good person, but uh, uh, I don't yeah. feel the butt anymore. Hmm. There's no butt anymore. I'm yeah. a good person, period. Yeah. I'm, my worth is constant. God loves me. There's no butt. Yeah. And there's no, there's no fear, right? There's no like, yeah, what if I slip? What if I relapse? It's like, it just doesn't, it doesn't occur to me anymore. It doesn't cross my mind on a minute by minute basis like I used to. So what do you do now to, I guess, maintain that um, healthier recovery lifestyle? What, what have been some of those keys for you that has really just turned the tide? Well, um, I think that anybody that's going to be serious about recovery needs to start reading books. That's my opinion, but <laughs> I know that you guys share that with You can me. listen to them on Audible, Jason. <laughs> you can. Some people aren't very fast readers, can, and Audible is very helpful. That's what I do. Audible is my my friend. That's me. I'm a terrible reader. Um, I'm a great reader. I just don't have time. <laughs> I drive a lot, so uh, Audible and podcasts are fantastic. Podcasts are yeah, fantastic. They are fan- that's how I found this I one. have one you should listen to. It's pretty good. <laughs> um, but yeah, books Books were, were a big thing for me. Um, 12-step groups were a really, really big thing for me, being yeah, honest Yeah, you can't step on books like that and not literally give us a <laughs> single book that you think's worth a read in recovery. Uh, well, I mean, okay, so I'm going to start with Wild at Heart. Top five. You get top five. Okay, so Wild at Heart, but not because I loved the book but because it got me to boot camp, and because it helped me to understand Fathered by God, which is my top five. So, so I ha- agree. I, so Fathered by God is the follow-up to Wild yes, at Heart. and it is amazing. And I agree. I actually like Fathered by God better yeah. than Wild. But if you haven't read Wild at Heart, you can't Fathered by, by God, God won't work. It won't make sense. Won't make sense. So Fathered by God's a big one. That was more recent, but that was a big healing God moment for me reading that book. Okay. Um, Boundaries has been mentioned on this uh, mm-hmm. podcast a bunch. That's a really good one. Towson, but Townsend, Townsend, Townsend. Yeah, yeah. Cla- okay. Um, oh goodness, what are some of the other ones I've been I, I read <laughs> back in the day? It's like two years ago now. I can tell how impactful they were. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Brene Brown. Uh, Brene Brown was huge. Power of vulnerability. Um, that was gigantic. Um, Which is only a listen, right? Yeah, yeah. That one's a listen. It's one. actually yeah. only on Audible, but it's awesome. And I will give everyone a, a, a cliff note. Um, all of her other books are basically just sections of that expanded. So like, instead of reading her 10 books, which I mean, you should like read them all. If you just do the power of vulnerability, like you'll get all the golden nuggets and then whichever ones you want to expand on, you can do Braving the Wilderness. So or, I would or, recommend The Shack, um, the movie or the book. They're, they're very similar. They did a good job with the movie. Um, but the book, uh, obviously I'd recommend the book, but, mm-hmm. um, the shack helped me to kind of shift my paradigm of how God feels about me that the helped butt. me with that feeling. Yeah. The, the butt. butt, the butt. Yeah. Uh-huh. That definitely helped with that. Um, there was another book, uh, written by John Pontius. Um, if anybody knows, uh, visions of glory or triumph of Zion, he wrote those. He wrote another one that was called, uh, following the light of Christ into his presence. 
And that was oh, yeah, really, you mentioned that one all I the time. I mentioned it all the time because it's really big for me in how to feel the Spirit and how to recognize the Spirit and how to recognize what the Word of God is, what revelation is, um, and how to follow that um, into, into His presence, quite literally. So I highly recommend that one. Um, uh, sitting in a rowboat, throwing marbles at a battleship. That was one of the most influential books in my recovery. Uh, it's Michael Pipane. Um, if you don't know it, go find it. It's not audible, so you do have to read it. You can get it on Kindle, though. Um, it's a collection of essays uh, from a recovering addict and his wife. And it's very uh, no BS. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's very laid it down, like this is what it is. And he, he's very bold in it. And he says some things that are a little intense. Um, but it totally changed my approach to how I see addict addiction and how I see recovery. So I highly recommend that one as well. Sweet. So awesome. Um, and then obviously like the alchemist and, and things like that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the other million books. He, so James and I are way, big alchemist fans. He, That's secret, what you don't know. He secretly read this last November and didn't tell us. Steven knows. You just didn't know. No, I didn't know. I told you. Look, the, the people don't need to know about this discrepancy in our brotherhood. Rude, by yeah, the way. Alchemist is good. So, oh, yeah. So books, podcasts, obviously, were big. This one, this podcast yeah. was huge for me. Um, oh, and, Jason. and one of the reasons this podcast was so huge for me because it was honestly the recovery stories were fantastic, but it was more about, and this is what I recommend to anybody recovering. It was about finding a group of people, a group of brothers that you can be vulnerable with, um, that can, mm. you can love, that can love That's you. Key. So connection. Connection is a hundred percent. And, and here's the thing, like I find. But with other men. With other who men. you can be a hundred percent transparent about you know, your story with. Whether they're addicts or not, right? Agree. Um, but I, I talk to addicts all the time. They're like, yeah, I got the ARP book. I got the 12 step book. I can do this. And they'll read through it. And they think that they're going to fix themselves. You cannot do this without connection. Period. You just can't. And by the way, it's the exact opposite of what AA preaches. So if you try to do the 12 steps alone, like the 12 steps literally says, do not do this yeah. alone. So, but a lot of people gloss still over try. That. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So finding you guys was big for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just be honest. Uh-oh. Um, so, yeah. Well, and if you don't know that story, Jason emailed me out of the blue when we were kind of ramping up. Go back and up. listen to our New Year's episode. Yeah, yeah. listen yeah. to our New Year's episode. He talks about all there. But he literally emailed me out of the blue. was like, you don't know me, but your audio sucks. And I'm great <laughs> at audio. We should have a conversation. And the rest well, is Well, it, it was very much a God moment because God was very much like, you need to reach out to them like totally. now. <laughs> it was a God moment for me too. Yeah, so. yeah. So very much led. We, we had just moved up to Salt Lake County and I didn't really have any friends up here. I didn't have a connection. I didn't have a brotherhood. I didn't have anybody that I could... I'd lost my ARP group that I was super tight with. Um, in the move. So, yeah, in the move. Okay. Um, and so that was just They didn't like die happened. on the Titanic. Yeah, no. <laughs> okay. And I, I love my ARP group now. I facilitate two groups actually, and they're fantastic. Okay. But, um, but at that time, I didn't have anything else. So if so. I want to come to ARP with, uh, with Jason, <laughs> where do I go? I don't know. Am I supposed to say that? <laughs> um, yep. So Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the Bingham Creek building on Sunday night or the Jordan Heights building on Sunday night. So that's you over. You do them both Sunday night? Well, I, I go back and forth. You rotate oh, between I the rotate two. I rotate between the two. Okay. okay. So over by the Mount uh, Ochre Mountain Temple okay. is the Jordan Heights building. So right off nine, 90th South and Redwood is Jason the Bingham Creek building. Jason at unashamedunafraid.com. Yep. yep. Jason at unashamedunafraid.com. 
That's where you can find Email me if you want to know. That's where you can go to his ARP meeting. Yeah, sure. Come on by. Yeah. Yep. Or if you need a good audio engineer, I guess. (laughs) Um, So I always ask at the end of these episodes, like, what would you tell me? Like, what would you tell people who are listening who, you know, are, are struggling with recovery or... I've listened to your story and don't believe you or whatever, but I, I kind of, um, I'm going to change it up this time okay? because you've heard that question too many times. (laughs) So the way I want to ask this is I've often asked people like, is it worth it? And I was talking to Kurt Frankham who gives us tons of advice all the time. We're actually recording this in Kirk's house tonight. Um, yep, this is Kirk in the back. <laughs> shout out. Shout out to Kirk Frankham. Go to Leading Saints. Great podcast. Um, but he's like, you. that just like, that's too narrow. Like people have these awesome things to share and that question is too narrow. And so, and, and I get the advantage that I know you a lot better than other people we have on the show. And so like the question I want to ask you is what is really different? Like what's really substantively different? Like to, to the person who's listening, who hasn't surrendered yet, is still saying, God loves me, Jason, but like what is different for you, for Jason, What's different? Because you were elders quorum president. You were married. I was earning you were, it. Yep. You were doing all these things. Like, what's different? I feel like my relationship with God is a lot more personal now. It's a lot more contextual. I don't know if that makes sense, but like, I, I see things very pragmatically now. Um, I don't let preconceived notions or, and maybe this is a loaded comment, but like cultural biases and things, right? Like they don't affect my relationship with God anymore. Or as Kurt Frankum calls them, the weeds of culture. Yeah. You could put it that way. Yeah. Um, it, it's, I'm, I'm back in my faith. I'm stronger than ever in it. Um, but it's much more based on my relationship with my father and my savior, um, than it ever was before. Not that it wasn't before, but now that's what it is. But what does that actually look like? Cause it, those are great words, but why is your life different? No, read, but if I'm listening yeah, read, and I have no recovery, like why is it the different? the light of Christ into his presence. That's what's different. Um, it's, it's about the fact that I can reach out and say God. And he says, yes, mm. he's there. He speaks to me consistently every day, all the time. I feel love. I feel joy. I see uh, this morning I was going through the drive-through and the lady that handed me my breakfast burger at Carl's Jr. I felt this immense love for her, this older Hispanic lady. And I just, I loved her. I don't know why. (laughs) It's a love for humanity, a love for life. It's it's a love for for God and for his family. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know if that sounds hokey or not, but I don't care because that's what it is. It's just... I'm happy. I, I don't, I don't have that fear. I don't have that cloud of doubt and, and, and shame anymore. That's just gone. It's not there. I don't, I don't worry about it anymore. It doesn't bother me. I don't lose sleep over it. I don't wake up and 
think, oh no, what today? It's just whatever happens, that's that sounds that's pretty my nice. walk with God. It's yeah. I'll take that. Sounds legit. Pretty great. Yeah. That's worth shooting for, right? <laughs> I mean, again, hang. It's not yeah. perfect. <laughs> like, yeah, your life's not perfect. I have bad days. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Still have your problems, right? Yeah. Still have things Still to come have up. Still have issues. So, um, I, I'll, I'll give you the final word yeah. here. Um, so, first off, um, we have... Uh, um, uh, I don't want to use the word bullied. We have strongly forced Christian music on you. <laughs> yes, you have. And uh, you have finally drank the Kool-Aid. So do you have a song? Uh, yeah. So the song I, I uh, would want to share um, is anything by Casting Crowns, but <laughs> uh, I chose This Is Now. Um, and the reason I chose that song is because I've, I've really identified with Peter in that song. Wait, which song are you choosing? This is now. Oh, you said two. No, I said any song by Casting Crowns, but the one I want is This Is Now. Oh, I thought you said anything by Casting Crowns. Oh, no, Crowns. no, no, no. Yeah, just and anything like, by like that Crowns. was a song. No. <laughs> Casting Crowns are Steve's fantastic. over there I looking love... up the song anything. <laughs> what's, the, what's the song I was anything? like, dude, I listen to a lot of Casting Crowns. <laughs> is this a deep track? <laughs> no, like they just, they're... This is now. They speak to me. Yeah, this is now. Um, I by really, who? By Casting Crowns. Oh, my word. Are you even listening? <laughs> Am I going to edit this or just leave it all in? <laughs> no, I'm writing it down. You're, you're the guy. You're the... You choose. Um, yeah, so I just... I really relate to Peter in that song. The idea that, like, there was a time where I felt this love and this, this motivation, this calling, but that was then and this is now, right? Mm-hmm. And so the idea that, like... Now I may not, might not feel that. What's changed? I've changed. My life has changed. Are you still there? And then the end of the song is he's still standing there on the shore, just as he was the first day he called your name. And so the idea that there is always a second chance. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter where you're at. There's always the second chance. He's always standing right there. So that song always hmm. yeah. gets me going. Yeah. I don't think there's anything to say after that, my friend. Love you. Love you too. Love your heart. (laughs) And with that, Casting Crowns. Standing at the water's edge I dropped my dreams when I dropped my nets No hesitation, no regrets I followed you, but that was then And this is now You washed my feet and you changed my name I swore I'd never be the same But just like the tides I guess people change Cause that was then And this is now I wish I could go back but I don't Remember when I stood my ground I swore I'd never let you down I wanna be that man again But that was there And this is now
a blind man lift his head And look his Savior in the eyes I heard a dead man take a breath Dropped to my knees as I watched him rise And I felt the sea beneath my feet As I stepped out on the angry waves But you saw the storm raging within You reached down and called me there But this is now I wish I could go back but I don't know how I remember That was then, and this is now. My child, I bore your cross, I wore your crown. When you couldn't come to me, my love came down. So take my hand, I'll lead you out. Cause that was then, and this is now. My child. 